Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Half-Hearted. But before I jump in, I want to update you all on some of the great things that are going on at Collective right now. Over the past few weeks, uh, my staff and I have been getting a lot of text messages and emails and DMs asking, what is going on at Collective? Uh, We get people asking all the time, like, how many people were there on a Sunday? Did we really have to bring out the choir chairs during second service last week? Now, if you get tired of us celebrating what God is doing at Collective, sorry, not sorry, because when we first started Collective, I felt really weird about sharing things like this, but I realized I should never be ashamed of what God is doing in this church. So we love sharing with you all the amazing things that are going on because we know you see them, we know you feel them, and we know most of you are like, what is happening in this church? January was nuts, okay? Over the past month, we've had the four largest Sundays in the history of this church, including 401 people last week. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I never thought Collective would like see 200 people. And so just to have two services uh, full were just incredible. We've been averaging 80 kids a week back in Collective Kids. And last week we celebrated seven baptisms. Uh, and it, what God is doing right now is unreal. It's beyond what we ever imagined it would be. And we know you feel it. Right? We know you feel it in the parking lot. We know you feel it when you're checking your kids in. We know you feel it when you're getting to your seat. It's crazy, uh, but wonderful. And so we're going to lean in because we can always find more seats, which is what we had to do last week. We can always open up more classrooms for kids, and we can find more parking. Whatever we need to do to create more space for people to experience Jesus, that's what we're going to do. Now, we also recognize that we are quickly maxing out at West Frederick Middle School. And so I want to spend a few minutes sharing some updates for you when it comes to our capital campaign and our search for our own space in Frederick. For those of you who are new to Collective, in November, we started a capital campaign called The Frederick That God Sees that was all about where we've been as a church and where we feel like God is moving us. If you should definitely check it out if you weren't here. Um, you can go on YouTube or Spotify. Just look for Collective Church because it really just does sum up uh, what this church is all about and what we're trying to do in the city. And the whole goal of the series was to raise the financial capital needed for us to move out of West Frederick Middle School and into our own leased space. And we've shared this before. This church stepped up and pledged well above and beyond what we expected as our goal because, like I said, this church is just so special. Now, I'm going to be intentionally vague about some specifics, but here's the update. We are currently talking to a landlord that has a space that's big enough for collective and actually even has room for us to grow. Because one of the things that we said is we're not moving into a space that can't fit everybody uh, because we don't want to move into a space and end up adding multiple services, right? We want to move and be able to do the two services that we do really well. The price is well within our range. Um, In fact, when they first told it to us, we thought they did made a mistake. We thought their math was wrong, but it's not. The location is just six minutes from here, but there's one thing that's kind of holding everything up. The building has a second floor, uh, which would be offices and our pre-K through fifth grade classrooms. And we told the landlord that we won't take the space unless they install an elevator. As much as we love the location, uh, without an elevator, it limits the children that can be a part of this church, and that's just not what we're all about. 
And so we've been going back and forth with them for eight weeks when it comes to this, this elevator, this second floor, where to build it, the cost, how long it will take. It all matters to us. And realistically, it all hinges on that right now. Now, I share all of this with you uh, because I want you to know that we're close. Uh, I want you to know that as you show up on Sunday morning and you, you're parking a little bit further away, right? And we want you to know when you show up on Sunday morning and there's more kids uh, in, in the classrooms that you're, you're putting your children in, like we see it and we're doing everything we can to get to a place where we can have our own space, have bigger rooms, more parking, uh, create more space is really the goal. Uh, but we need you guys to be praying. You know, whether you've been a part of this since the campaign or you are brand new, we're asking you to pray. Pray that the landlord gives the green light for an elevator. Um, pray that they help cover the cost. Elevators are incredibly expensive. You can Google it later. Uh, it's kind of scary. Um, and pray that we continue to hit our fundraising goal because such a big piece of this is uh, what's been committed actually comes through. Then we're able to do what God has asked us to do. Now, the good news for us is that we feel like if they say no to the elevator, that's very clear for us. This isn't the right space. And so one thing that we constantly pray for is clarity, and we know for us that that would be clarity. But it all hinges on this elevator. Uh, and really, it all hinges on creating the best space possible for collective kids. So I'm going to pray right now for this space, um, and then we're going to jump into today's teaching. Let's pray together. Uh, God, thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. Um, God, it's just so exciting to see uh, people moving closer to you, um, people giving you uh, a first shot. Um, God, people coming back to church after years of, of being away. Um, and God, we're, we're feeling this community. We're seeing what you're doing in, in our lives and in the lives of people in this city. And we're just so thankful for that. And God, we're thankful that we're running out of seats. God, we're thankful um, that we have so many kids that we're opening up new classrooms, God, that we have to wrestle with these things about space. But God, we just pray for this location right now. Um, as we've been talking to them for, for months, it feels like um, we're moving toward resolution, but God, we're just praying that there's clarity. God, ultimately we pray that we get into our own space that's perfect for this church, that allows us to grow, uh, allows us to create more space for people, allows us to do ministry really well and even better in this city. And so God, for the location that we're looking at right now, we just pray for wisdom and clarity. Um, God, that uh, when the door shuts, we know it's shut and we can just move on to the next um, idea and space that you have available for us. Um, but God, ultimately, we just pray that you find us the right home in Frederick where we can continue to love this community um, and continue to be a uh, collective church. God, we're thankful for what you're doing. Um, God, we're thankful for the ways that uh, you're impacting um, this church, us as individuals, this city. And we just pray that we get to see that so much more, whether it's here or in uh, a new future location. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So I'm really excited about this series today. It's called Half-Hearted, and it's about a man named Jonah. And over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into his story, his faith, and his life. And then what we're actually going to do, something really special, is uh, the first Sunday of March, we're going to have a discussion about mental health in the church. And we're bringing in one of our counselors that, um, if you've ever emailed us about counseling, she's one of our top recommendations. And she's going to come in, and we're actually, I'm going to interview her on stage, because this is a big topic, um, and it relates really well to Jonah. As we read through this story, you're going to realize, like, he struggles in real deep ways. And so that's how we're going to conclude this series the first Sunday in March. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, and what that means is Jonah has been chosen by God to hear directly from God and deliver God's message to his people. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a book that's written about a specific interaction between Jonah and God. And it's unique because it isn't just about the message he's supposed to deliver. 
The story is really about his response to what God is asking him to do. And even though Jonah is a prophet of God, they have a really weird relationship. The only time in the Bible that we actually see Jonah prophesying is in 2 Kings, and God reverses the prophecy because Jonah brought his own agenda. He didn't actually listen to God, so God changes what he said. And so their relationship is very complicated. And this is mostly because Jonah has a half-hearted faith, he has a half-hearted trust of God, and he has a half-hearted approach to God. Now, if you grew up in church, you know Jonah as the dude that was swallowed by the big fish, and you probably watched his story on VeggieTales. For those of you who are new to church or didn't grow up in the church, this is a real thing, okay? Vegetables used to tell Bible stories, and the show was called <laughs> VeggieTales. This is part of the reason why I think Christianity is dying, but I digress. Most of the time when we hear the story of Jonah, we imagine a cartoon asparagus and a giant talking fish. But I don't think Jonah is a two-dimensional character. I believe that he actually lived. And so when we talk about Jonah over the next few weeks, we're going to see him screw up a lot. But I believe that he is a complex human being, and ultimately, he's just like us. And this is his story in Jonah 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, this is how it begins, and this feels small. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. But here's what VeggieTales and your Sunday school flannel graph left out about the Ninevites. The Ninevites had invaded, pillaged, and devastated Jonah's people and their way of life. So Jonah hated the Ninevites. And God asks him, go to them. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. So God tells Jonah to go to his enemies and tell them that God sees their lives and wants them to change the way that they're living. Right? God is asking Jonah to go and preach to them so that their souls can be saved. What a difficult request for Jonah. Jonah has spent his entire life thinking and knowing that these people are the worst of the worst, and now he's being asked to go save them. Right? This is like God asking you to go to your ex-husband who cheated on you and walked away from your family. Right? This is like God asking you to go to your father who emotionally and physically abused you. This is like God asking you to go to that girl from high school who spread those rumors about you. This is like God asking you to go to Pittsburgh and talk to Steelers fans. Right? This is not what Jonah wants to do. They invaded his people's land. They killed his friends, his neighbors, and his family members. And so Jonah does what we would all do in that situation. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now God is asking Jonah to go to Nineveh and his response is, new phone, who dis? And he gets on a ship and starts to sail away. Now for context, let's put this into modern day geography. So Nineveh is Mosul, Iraq. Jonah lives close to Tel Aviv, Israel, and he boards a ship to take off for southern Spain, the complete opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Now, I've never been to southern Spain before, but if I were running from God, I would probably consider going there as well. Look at this place. It is unreal, right? Like, probably not the ships of the time, but this is beautiful. But what's actually going on here is that Jonah doesn't choose southern Spain because it's beautiful. Right? He doesn't choose it because of the nightlife or the food. He chooses southern Spain because it's literally the furthest place in the world that they knew about. Right? During that time, they thought Spain was the end of the earth. 
So he is trying to get away as far as physically possible from God. So instead of doing the work of God that God has hand-selected for him, he runs away. And when I read this story, and, and you've read this story before, a lot of you have, it's really easy to judge Jonah, right? You judge his actions, you judge his thoughts, you judge his faith. In fact, I think most of you who grew up in the church were probably told to look at Jonah as what not to do, right? I, I know for me, I kept hearing that Jonah was a bad example of someone who trusts in God, right? Like he's the guy that you don't follow. He's the bad example in, in our lives. But as I get older, I realize I'm just like Jonah, right? I've run from God before. I've run from God because of what I wanted. I've run from God because I was afraid of what he was asking me to do. I've run from God because I didn't want to inconvenience myself. I've run from God because of my own ego. I've run from God a lot in my life. When it came to going into ministry, I ran. When it came to moving to Frederick, I ran. Both of those didn't turn out very well for me. But the best example of this for me was eight years ago. Ray and I were living in Johnson City, Tennessee, and she had just finished her master's degree. And we knew we didn't want to live in Tennessee any longer, and we both felt confidently that we were supposed to move back up to the D.C. area. I personally didn't have a single doubt that this area was where God wanted us to be so that we could plant a church. I kept telling people, I'm from the D.C. area, and God is calling me back home. And as I was looking for a few jobs uh, in the area, two popped up. There's a creative arts position at a church in Glen Burnie, and then there's an associate pastor position in Annapolis. And realizing that the associate pastor position was a bit above my experience level at the time, I applied for the church in Glen Burnie. And when I started to interview, things were going well. It was was three months, uh, but it was good conversations. Um, it, It felt good, like it felt right. But three months in, they asked me to switch positions. Like, I'm not even kidding you. I, they told me that I was their top choice for the creative arts position, but they actually wanted me to apply for the pastor of involvement position that they had just opened up. And I hated this. Not just because of the fact that I'd have to go through a brand new interview process, but because it just didn't feel right. Meanwhile, the job in Annapolis was still available and still lingering in the back of my head, but instead of applying, I kept going down the Glen Burnie path. Three months of more interviews, visits, and conversations with leadership, they eventually offered me the job. And I remember sitting in Tennessee, talking to Ray and telling her that I felt like God was telling me not to take it. That it wasn't a doubt. Like, I clearly felt God was saying no. But I was so afraid to turn it down. We'd both quit our jobs and were living off of what little savings that we had. I had been interviewing for six months and had no other options. We felt called to Maryland. This was Maryland. So we felt like at least we're going where God wants us. As a benefit, one of my best friends worked at the church. So I thought, how bad could it be? It was everything that I thought I wanted, but not at all what God wanted. So I took the job. Ray and I arrived on a Saturday. And on Sunday morning, I was introduced to the church. After service, we were in the lobby to meet people. And the first person that Ray met began to complain about the last pastor, the guy whose job I took, and about the church in general. I was sworn by strangers who had opinions about how small groups should run, how teams should be led. They began to tell me everything they thought was wrong with the church. When we got in the car after service that day, Ray cried. And I realized that I made a very, very, very big mistake. To be honest, this is one of the reasons why Ray doesn't stand with me at the double doors after service. But the next seven months were miserable. I was angry. We began to resent ministry in the church. 
I was treated poorly by other staff members. I saw the behind the scenes of an incredibly unhealthy church that I didn't see during the interview process. And seven months in, we mutually agreed to part ways. Or at least that's what they told everyone. I was fired. While it was a relief, they spun it in such a way that the few friends that we did have felt like we just abandoned them and all of those friendships were broken. So there Ray and I were again, I didn't have a job. She was long-term subbing because the interview process took so long that by the time we moved up there, she couldn't be hired on full-time as a teacher. We had three months left on a lease and we didn't know what else to do. And to be honest, I was mostly positive at this point in my life, I was done working in a church, I was burned. But we went back to God. Humbly, this time we began to pray very similar prayers to the first time, but without my own agenda. And we did this for three months before I got a call from the church in Annapolis. The guy that they had hired hadn't panned out and they heard that I was looking. Now, let me be clear about something. This wasn't a Hollywood ending. The pain I experienced in Glen Burnie led me to put up some major walls. It bled into my next job where I had trust issues and abandonment issues. The job in Annapolis was hard and led to other pain that I've had to work through since that moment. Those two years of my life got me to a point where I still believe that God was calling me into ministry, that still, still we knew God wanted us to plant a church in Maryland, but it also led me to counseling. I needed to grow and I needed to heal. So God completely redeemed all of the brokenness that we experienced during that season of our lives, but I brought so much more strife and pain into my life because I chose not to trust God and do what he was asking me to do. And that's Jonah. Jonah's afraid. Jonah's upset with God. Jonah's a little bit arrogant. He doesn't like what God is asking him to do, so he runs away. And we're not that different, right? We know that when we're walking out of alignment with what God wants for our lives, or when we mess up, or when we don't do what God is asking us to do, what do we do? We run and hide. And the bad decisions start to stack up on top of each other. And before we know it, our life is a mess. And again, it's really easy to judge Jonah because he's the chosen prophet of God. He's one of the, the elect. He's picked by God, right? He hears directly from God. He doesn't have to question what God is saying to him because God is telling him what to do. But he hears God's voice and he still takes off. And we all do this. We run from God when we make a conscious decision to run and turn away from what we know is right and true and pursue our own ideas and the things that we want. And we often try to justify our decision to run. I did that. I told God that I was doing most of what he was asking me to do. I was like trying to figure out a way for God to compromise with me, right state, wrong church. But we say to God, my case is special, right? Like it's different for me. Maybe it's because I think I have a stronger faith than other people. Maybe it's because I think I've earned it. Maybe it's because I think I deserve better. Right? I deserve to get what I want. I deserve to have a moment or two to be satisfied. But whatever it might look like for you, at some point, every so often, something strikes us in such a way that we say no to God and we pursue our own boat to the coast of Spain. And this is Jonah. He decides to get as far away as humanly possible. But this is what happens while Jonah is sailing to Spain. But the Lord, Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. I once had a friend who was in the Navy tell me that these are the types of storms where you grab whatever you can hold onto as tight as possible 
because there's nothing that you can physically do to survive. It's up to the mercy of the storm. But the sailors still try to do what they can. They throw all of their cargo overboard. And this just isn't stuff to them. Like this is their life. This is their livelihood. These are the things that they're working for. And they said, I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna die, but at least we're gonna give it a shot. We're gonna throw it over the side. And while there's chaos above the deck, all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. And this is the part of the story that we find funny, right? Like this is like, almost, it feels like a comedic break in the middle of this very serious story, right? He's got his teddy bear. There's a mouse just chilling in the corner with some cheese. It's cute. Like in a lot of us, we grew up in churches where this is the story of Jonah that we saw. But I don't think that's what's going on. In fact, that's not what I've seen in the people closest to me who are struggling. I personally think that Jonah has depression, the trauma that he experienced in his life, the anxiety that he feels with what God is asking him to do. I don't think he's simply taking a nap. I don't think he can get up. And some of you know exactly what this feels like. There are storms in your life that you have caused and God is telling you to do the right thing and sometimes you can't. It's not that you don't want to. It's not that you don't think you need to. You can't. This is why we talk so much about mental health in this church. This is why our first quarter partner every single year that this church exists is, is MHA, because mental health matters. Because sometimes you need medicine to get up and do what God has asked you to do. Sometimes you need a counselor to help you through the anxiety and the fear and the pain of doing what you know is right. But Jonah didn't have that. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So here's the first thing I wanna point out from Jonah 1. When you run from God, you hurt the people around you. When you run from God, you hurt the people around you. Jonah put the life of those sailors in his hands. His bad decision led to them fearing for their life. And maybe it isn't that extreme for us, but when we run, the people close to us often pay the heaviest price. They have to mortgage their future, sometimes literally. They have to stand by and watch as, as storm after storm continues to destroy the very fabric of the lives that they created. And the people who run away tend to hide from it, justify it, or pretend like it's not happening. When I chose to run from God, I hurt my wife. I put us in a financially scary situation. I put her in a position to deal with pain from other people. I hurt the people I was leading in that church because I wanted to get them to trust me, but I didn't trust them. I had friendships end without reconciliation. When we, we run from God, we hurt the people around us. And I don't know what this looks like for you, Maybe God's asking you to be more vulnerable with your spouse, but instead you run away, you put up walls and you push the two of you further apart. Maybe God's asking you to date someone who shares the same faith in God as you do, but you run away, you swipe right, you start another shallow relationship that's gonna end the same way that they all do and you wonder why. Or maybe God's asking you to open up with your friends about your past, but instead you run away and continue the surface level relationships that you've always had. Dads. Sometimes mom, but most of the time it's dads. You are the ones who are mentally running. Or maybe you're just on the brink of running and you're thinking that it's okay because it only impacts you. The decision that you're making will only impact and only fall on yourself, but it's not true. Dads, when you choose to run mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or physically, when you choose to run, 
there's way more at stake. Your kids are in the balance and it will fall back on them. Some of you grew up in that household. Even if you don't want it to, when you run from God, it will hurt the people around you. And so Jonah is, is in that situation. He's created a storm that falls on a bunch of other people and they have to figure out what they're gonna do through this. And through an old school method, the crew figures out that Jonah is the one that's actually causing the problem. So they go and confront him. They ask him, why is all this happening and how do we make it stop? And Jonah responds, he tells them, I'm running from God, which did not go over well for him. And as the sea got rougher and rougher, Jonah watched his problem become more and more consuming of the people around him and their lives. So he spoke up. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this, is, this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, don't get stuck on the fish part. We're gonna talk about that more next week. Here's the second thing we learned from Jonah 1. When you run from God, you hurt the people around you. When you run from God, you hurt yourself. And the thing is, you already know that, right? Jonah ends up alone in the belly of a fish. There's no one to help him. He cannot free himself. And for all he knows, he is going to die. And again, speaking from my own life, my decision to run from God led to so much pain for me. Spiritual pain where I doubted how good God is, where I doubted my calling in life. Mental pain as I dealt with insecurities that I still deal, still deal with majorly today. It was a very long three years of my life that have lingering effects. And so you end up isolated and alone after pushing people away from you. You end up burying yourself deeper and deeper into addiction. You end up doubting your faith because you struggle to feel God's presence as you run further and further and further away. When you run from God, you hurt yourself. And so when you run from God, you hurt the people around you. When you run from God, you hurt yourself. So you have to ask yourself, what are you running from? What is God asking you to do that you are avoiding? And what is God asking you to do that you're running away from? And this doesn't take a lot of thought. You, you know, you know the answer to this. There's a tension that you feel every Sunday that you're here. There's a tension that you feel when you read your Bible. There's a tension that you feel when you pray because God is asking you to do something that you don't want to do and you're running away. Maybe it's a spiritual step, right? God is telling you to get baptized. Last week you were here and you felt it and you still went home, right? He's asking you to put yourself out there. He's asking you to start being generous with what God has given you. He's asking you to read your Bible more. Or maybe God's asking you to give up the addiction, Right? Or share with somebody else that you are struggling with this addiction. Stop looking at porn. Stop gossiping. To ask for forgiveness for the ex-wife that you dishonored. To apologize for what you said or what you did or what you didn't do that left your family in pain. What are you running from? What is God asking you to do? And I want to make sure that I'm clear about something when I ask this question. God is not asking you to do something that will glorify yourself. 
First Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. Colossians 3 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Here's my point. If everything that God is asking you to do is for yourself, if it always brings you glory or brings you attention or brings you honor, you're missing something. And I see this all the time in church. Christians are the best at this. I once had someone tell me that God had called him to lead thousands of people, so he didn't want to waste his time serving a few. I once had someone tell me that God had called them into the spotlight so they would only serve on stage. I once had someone tell me that God had called him to be rich so he didn't have to be generous and give a dime to the church that he served in. But that isn't what God calls us to do. He calls us to humble ourselves. He calls us to serve others. He calls us to trust him. He calls us to go to a city full of people that we hate and preach about repentance and grace. If God is only asking you to do things that you want to do, you need to spend more time listening to God. So what is God asking you to do? And one of the reasons I can share my own story of running from God is because I've seen God work through the pain. Like I'm still seeing it every single day. I've seen God work through my own sin. I've seen God work through my own arrogance. But why let it even get to that point? Right, here's the deal. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Part of the reason why we don't run from God is because God wants what is best for us. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that we don't have to change some things about our life. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain. It simply means he wants what is best for you. And that tension you are feeling isn't for anything other than him helping you experience the best life possible, the best marriage possible, the best relationships possible, the best faith possible. And to prove he wanted what is best for us, God sent his son Jesus to come and rescue us from ourselves. And the good news is it's not a one-time rescue, right? God offers us endless second chances. He will rescue you again and again and again. But when we do things our own way, when we run from God, we screw it all up over and over and over again. And so today we need to stop running, stop hurting the people around us, stop hurting ourselves and fully trust God because his way is so much better and we don't have to run anymore. Let's pray. God, um, we just spend so much time um, sprinting in the opposite direction of what you want for us. Got our own ego, um, our own sin, our own fear, uh, our own pain. They all get in the way of what you're asking us to do. And God, I, I know I can speak for myself about the pain that we've experienced. And um, God, we've seen you do so much through my very bad decisions. Um, but God, it's time for us to stop making those bad decisions and stop running away from you and start running toward you. Um, God, start trusting you. So start fully embracing what you're asking us to do in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our faith, in our careers. Because God, we know that you want something that's so much better for us. 
The tension is, God, when, you, when we know you want what's best for us, we know you love us, but you ask us to do things that we're just not ready to do, God, that we don't want to do, um, that we're afraid to do. So God, I, I pray this week, um, we have the opportunity to stop running and move closer to you. God, that we can take a small step um, forward, a small step closer, a small step uh, in our faith as we trust you a little bit more. God, there are a lot of people in this room today that, that feel like Jonah. They're on this boat. Um, it's capsizing and it's swallowing up the people around them. But God, one of the beautiful things about his story uh, is that you calmed the storm and then you saved his life. Again, it wasn't what he wanted. You did it your own way. But even Jonah, you wanted what was best for him. So God, we know that's true for us. God, we know that's true because you sent your son for us to offer us grace and endless second chances for when we do mess up. But God, I pray today that we just stop running. Because the truth is, uh, we're tired. <laughs> um, and we're ready to move closer to you. God, we love you. and pray these things in your name. Amen.